It's your girl, Marisa, and you are listening to the Heard That with Marisa Tigney podcast. What's up, Heard That Nation? Y'all have asked, and you've asked, and you've asked, and it's finally open. The Heard That With Marisa online store at heardthatwithmarisa.com. I got the merch. Finally happened. Swaggy tees, amazing hats, other kinds of different merchandise that I got on there. Check it out today. Thank you for supporting your girl. Uh, Fill up a shopping bag with all kinds of stuff. Give away as gifts or keep it for yourself. All kinds of amazing swag and merchandise. Check it out today. Heard that with Marisa.com. I appreciate your support. One of the amazing things that I love to do with my time, I love working out and serving in the community. And through that time, I have met some amazing people and I have met some extraordinary kids. And the one thing, believe it or not, that kids love and ask for is books. Because many of them I found that they, they absolutely love reading, which is absolutely incredible. Um, I am so proud that I've met an incredible man uh, by the name of Trevor Romaine, and he is an author. He's an illustrator that has the most amazing, amazing literature for kids and for educators and for teachers, as well as parents. You have to check out his books. You have to check out his digital downloads. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. If you go to TrevorRomain.com, uh, T-R-E-V-O-R-R-O-M-A-I-N, no E at the end.com. Check out all of his materials that he has, all his books, all his literature and digital downloads. You can save 15%. All heard that listeners. If you check it out, save 15% at the end of your checkout. Use the code heard that H-E-A-R-D-T-H-A-T and save 15%. You, I'm telling you what, it is some of the best materials out there that can help children and families become happier, healthier, and more confident. So use the code heard that save 15% off at trevorromaine.com today. What's up, heard that nation listening in the United States and around the world. You are listening now to the heard that with Marisa Tigney podcast. If you are watching right now on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. So you stay in the know of all future episodes that are happening and incredible guests that come on this show. I cannot tell you the amount of messages that have blown up in the my DMs of the guests that I have on the show, on the podcast. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you are not following her, you're going to follow her probably during the show, after the show, 
Uh, she is an absolute legend. Uh, she has made history in the late 70s, 80s, becoming the first Black woman to be on a national syndicate uh, show, a sports show, NFL on CBS. She is a media spokesperson. She is a journalist. Uh, she is a mother. She is a legend. Many people that have spoken her name knows exactly what I'm talking about. I am so honored to have this Emmy-nominated NCAA Image Award winner on my podcast, ladies and gentlemen, Jane Kennedy Overton. Welcome to the Heard That Podcast. Thank you, Marissa. It is a joy for me to be here. I've been looking forward to this so much. A lot of people will not know why this is so important to me, but you do, and maybe we can talk about that a bit later. But absolutely, um, I, you just you just touched my soul when I saw you, and I just had to reach out. So here I am. I, I am so, so delighted and I'm so honored uh, to have you on here. And when I was, and you had saw me um, when I did speak your praises and pretty much the path that you have laid out for so many women of color, so many black women, when it comes to journalism, um, it was a reel that you had sent me um, with all the highlights that you have done and all the compliments uh, accomplishments, sorry, and uh, the interviews that you have done, but it was something that Jamel Hill, uh, a, a credible journalist in her own right, had said on a show that many people do not speak your name often. And I agree with that uh, because it has to somehow hit you hard, it hit you so much in your heart and in your spirit when you see so many of these women now um, Robin Roberts, Oprah, uh, Deborah Roberts, um, Jamel Hill, Carrie Champion, Lisa Salters, Pam Oliver, Ellie Duncan. There's so many women now that are in journalism and in entertainment that are holding a, a platform, either being that lead journalist, that lead host, or you know, or co-host. Does it when you see all these women, you see all the all these black women, all these women of color. Do you sit there for a moment, Jane, and just be like, you take it all in that you were the one that literally kicked the door open for the opportunity for myself included, for all of us to have an opportunity to have our voice heard with, through the talents of entertainment and journalism. Does that sink into you somehow that, wow, okay, I truly did have something. I had my hand in this and made all of these doors open for many women today? It is not lost on me, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but I do, I, I have to say that when you're in the moment, you know, like when I was doing the NFL today, you know, I just didn't think about that. It was just a matter of, I'm never gonna get this job. Mm. They're not looking for someone like me, but I knew that I could do it. And I knew that I would have a lot of fun doing it. And I knew that it would be uh, an amazing first step for a lot of people. But I didn't realize the significance of it, actually. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I asked my agent to submit me because I had heard that they were looking for someone to replace Phyllis George. And uh, the NFL Today was the number one show at that mm -hmm. point. Um, the number one pregame show. Um, Bob Costa said, it, as a matter of fact, it set the standard for what pregame shows are today. Mm -hmm. So that's how big it was, you know, and to just think, you know, here I am, I've never done sports broadcasting before, but I knew a lot of people in the sports world 
and they were my friends and I grew up loving sports, you know, as did you. Yeah. It was something that was, you know, I would sit there with my dad and I would watch Bobo Brazil and uh, his famous Coco Butt. I would sit there with my dad and we would watch baseball. We would, and then my dad played baseball um, mm -hmm. on his church team and on his uh, work team. And um, I swear, if he had had the opportunities when he was a youngster, he probably would have ended up in the minor leagues at least. Um, but, you know, it was always something that was in my spirit. Um, when I was in elementary school, I competed in the Junior Olympics for the state of Ohio in mm -hmm. the standing broad jump, which I don't even think they do anymore. Right. <laughs> but um, and the softball throw, you know, and I wanted to be part of sports um, when I went into middle school. But mm -hmm. this was pre-Title IX. There were no opportunities for female competitive sports programs. They just yeah. didn't exist. And so the closest I could get to football was to be a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to go to all the games. And so there I was on the bus at the away games, um, leading the school spirit at home. But that wasn't enough because then I had to do basketball. I had to do the wrestling. And then when yeah. I told them I wanted to be a part of the track program, there were no positions. So I said, I just want to be the statistician just so I can get on the bus and go to the games. Yeah. Um, but that's just, it was in my DNA. It was a part. Oh, and they made me the water girl too. But I did get on the bus. <laughs> See, um, literally you were the Jane of many trades, pretty I much. Was, I was, you know, so sports <laughs> was something that I absolutely loved. And so when this opportunity came up, I just had to go for it and, and see what happened. And my agent told me they're not looking for a black woman, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And they want a journalist. Well, I knew that they didn't want a journalist because I'd seen the list of some of the people that had been submitted. Um, and the PR guy for CBS Sports said something like it was the biggest talent surge since Scarlett O'Hara. Um, wow. If I, if I think I'm quoting her, her correctly. But um, they were looking for, they were looking everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I knew I could do the job. I had been um, in television for eight years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was in high school, I was one of those people that I just went out to try to do everything. Right. So I was a part of this club, that club, president of this, president of that. As a matter of fact, I was um, technically the first African-American female as vice president of the United States because wow. I was the senator from Ohio to Girls Nation mm -hmm. in um, 1969 and um, sworn in by Spiro T. Agnew. But that was the type of person I was. I was just, I believed in myself and I was outgoing. Mm -hmm. So I get to New York and um, for the edition, and um, walk into the room and there's 16 girls, all with blonde hair. <laughs> I said, yeah. well, they were right. They're not looking for someone like me. But I kicked back and I did, um, my audition was five minutes uh, on camera with Brent Musburger, five mm -hmm. minutes um, delivering teleprompter copy um, and stories and then five minutes of interviewing an athlete, but they wouldn't tell us who the athlete was until late the night before the interview. So we couldn't do any back research and there was no, right. Google. there was nothing like that. It was mm -hmm. only networks. And um, this is, you know, 1960, 1978. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was a different world. Um, but, you know, I had called a friend the night before and he said, Jane, you have to understand that um, you're intimidating when people look at you. And I say, oh, well, I never thought of it that way. 
but uh, he said, so what you have to do is just make the person you're interviewing comfortable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when the guy walked in the room the next morning and um, all the other girls started clamoring around him, trying to get a little tidbit, you know, mm -hmm. uh, what they could talk about. And I'd seen a backgammon game in the corner of the makeup room. And I said to the guy, I said, do you play backgammon? He said, sure, you know, because it was a big thing back then. Um, so we sat and we played backgammon until it was time for us to go on set. And by then we were just old friends. Like, you know, it was, it was great. We just had this camaraderie. And so after the interview, Brent just stood up without even finishing the other girls and the other women. And he said, um, it's Jane or nobody. And wow. the, the director said, yes. The producer said, yes. Um, Frank Smith, president of CBS Sports, said yes. Um, but they couldn't hire me because they were afraid that the Southern affiliates would, would draw. That would mean that with me on the desk would be one black, one white, one black. Mm -hmm. And so my race was indeed a factor. And um, so they sent the audition tapes to the Southern affiliates. They all liked it. Um, so the answer was Jimmy the Greek was already on the show. Let's put him on the desk. Yeah. So it was two blacks and two whites. And that's how I got the job. Oh my goodness. That, that's, that is incredible. I, in that, and that when you and I had conversated before that, and I, I said that the first time I saw you on television on that panel, uh, and it was at the Buccaneers game, it was Tampa Bay. And I knew ex precisely what you wore that beautiful cream suit with the crimson, uh, um, crimson red blouse. Yes. And just that. looking absolutely beautiful. And the thing that also blew me away is like, not only is she beautiful, but she knows what she's talking about. And she's smart. Um, because you'll get women that'll be on TV and they'll be there just for show, but can't back up yeah. the fact of what the subject matter is, let alone discuss it to capture in that audience. And you were more than just a beautiful face. You knew what you were talking about, which blows me away that you didn't have a journalism background because you were just such a natural on that panel and, and talking to the interviews and the interviews that happened for you and who you spoke with and the athletes that you spoke with and the people that were in entertainment who you spoke with, it just came so natural to you. Was it because of, you know, like you had said, you were that person that, you know, to me, I don't think it was imitate. You were, you know, Imitating, I think that you were a go-getter before go-getting was actually cool. Someone that was ambitious, someone that would, you know, try to prove the person that would doubt you wrong. Um, when you had then set up with so many of these different interviews and everything, Jane, I know that preparation is key and everything else, but how was it, you know, walking into that room or walking into that setting with so many people you being on that platform of NFL today, and then all of these sports uh, legends and, and those that were you know big at the time, you walking into that room and just speaking with them. How did that, how did you feel about that? How did they uh, feel about you? And what was part two of that? And what was the, the best interview that you had with one of the famous people that you spoke with? Well, walking into the room and being comfortable around athletes was sort of easy for me mm -hmm. uh, at that particular point, because like I said, I'd been in, in Hollywood for some time, um, eight years at that point. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and you know you do learn to be aggressive you do learn to be confident because every time you open a door it's most likely that you're going to get a no especially I'm 5'10 so, mm-hmm. so you know like not only did they not want a black woman but they also would you know the director would say well how do we frame her with the other people because mm. the, the other people were like five two you know, and yeah. five, six, and then you've got a five, 10 woman. So you're looking at how do you frame the talent? Um, they're looking at how do you find, um, if she's in a relationship, this character's in a relationship, how do you find someone to partner with her when mm-hmm. all the other male actors in Hollywood are five, eight, five, seven? Um, uh, what is America looking for when they're expecting to see a black woman? Um, what is her hair like? What is her skin tone? What, how does she speak? And there were all these um, conceptions, misconceptions, I should say, of mm-hmm. what a Black woman represented at that time. But I was a child of the 60s. So mm-hmm. I was comfortable with looking at, you know, we've got to change this world. And I knew that I could do that to some degree. By the time I got on the NFL today, I was comfortable with being told no. I was comfortable with being told, and I'm not saying comfortable in terms of accepting it. I'm saying comfortable in terms of being aware. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I had to do better. I knew that I had to do my absolute best. And my best was to just be me. I didn't want to to be anyone else. I think the best thing out of that, and that's such a lesson for somebody to get, is that you did get that no, but you didn't let it be your final answer. Like you kept going. I got a million no's. Yeah. And then, you know, let's say only a handful of yes. Mm-hmm. And so then when you when you talk about um, being comfortable around an athlete, um, I was great friends with Muhammad Ali before I went to the NFL today. So you can't get more starstruck than yeah. that. So, right. you know, if I could be in a room with Muhammad Ali, I could pretty much be in any room. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I met Muhammad Ali in 75 and um, I went with him maybe before. Yeah, it had to be before because I went with him on uh, as part of his entourage uh, to the Thriller in Manila. And mm-hmm. um, that was probably the craziest thing that I'd ever seen in my life. Um, just to see the essence of who he was, you know, mm-hmm. on a global scale. Because back then you had to dress. I mean, people dressed to go to a boxing match back then. So -hmm. you see all these people from different countries and they're dressed in different garb and some are dressed in royal garb, you know, and people in gowns, people in this and that, you know, and all these different languages from around the world. And then he walks into the arena and all of a sudden these hundreds of languages all turn into one. And it's Ali, 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 you know, and here I am sitting in his corner. And this is only five years after I graduated high school. Wow. <laughs> and I'm going, that's incredible. This, this can't be my life. You know, and yeah. it was October 1. Oh, wow. That's, that's like right around the corner, October 1, 1975. Wow. And I will wow. never forget it because I remember being the girl from Wycliffe, Ohio, which is a very small community. Mm-hmm. And uh, here I am sitting in Muhammad Ali's corner, halfway around the world from where I grew up. Right. So, you know, to come in and then talk to Terry Bradshaw, talk to Joe Namath, um, 
Doug Williams, O.J. Anderson. Um, I mean, you know, the list went on and on. Art, Art Rooney, there's there's a number of people because then- I mean, Magic Johnson the and, yeah, so well, many people. Well, that's what I was say. After I did the NFL Today, I ended up co I ended up hosting um, speak I mean sorry greatest sports legends yeah and greatest sports legends is the longest running syndicated sports talk show I believe mm -hmm. and uh, they ran for thirty years and during that thirty years they had never had a female host and every year that was a different male superstar mm -hmm. and um, I was the first female and I was the first person to ever repeat as a host. I was their host for four years. Wow. So, um, you know, then you get the opportunity to meet. It's not just the player of the week mm -hmm. or, you know, the guy that's now with Kansas City and used to be with Dallas, you know, but now you're talking to the Bill Russells mm -hmm. of the world. And that to me was amazing because then you're there for the whole day and you're hanging out with them. It's not yeah. just an interview because we shot those interviews at La Costa, um, which is a retreat. And mm -hmm. um, they're there the whole day. They come in and they hang out at the spa the, the day before. And then we just walk with them. We chat with them. We eat with them, you know, and you actually see these people in their life environment instead of who they are on a football field, mm -hmm. on a basketball court. Mm -hmm. And they've been trying to get Bill Russell to do greatest sports legends for years. And he had always said no. And when I became the host, um, they called and said, we want you to do greatest sports legends with Jane Kennedy. And he said, yes. Wow. <laughs> so, so, you know, when he got there, I had to ask him, I said, why? You know, after all these years of you saying mm -hmm. no, why? And he said, because you are creating a legacy and I want to be a part of it. And I think that was the oh, first wow. time that it ever hit me. That was the first time that it hit me that as a black woman, I uh -huh. was changing the scope of probably one of the largest things that would ever happen in the world of sports. And that was doing females on the sidelines, females in the studio, uh -huh. females in a broadcast booth. And I have to say that's when it hit. That has the, those words that he said with you had to really stick with you and more so because that legend had passed away uh, just recently, Bill Russell. Yes. And when that announcement came, I thought of you immediately because I, I remember the conversation on that show when you did talk to him and, you know, saying those words to you and imparting them into you um, had to just had to just be just it just a, a map just home i don't know what to describe it as but it just had to be something that was just epic for you of the path that you would set for so many years and you continue to set still even though the people like self myself call you a legend legendary broadcaster and journalist you're still doing what you had started to do you know back in you know the 70s the 60s the 70s and 80s and beyond um, what was that, what was that moment when you had heard his passing, the heard of his death, what was your feeling, uh, of all of that? Did it take you back to that interview? Did it take it back to, take you back to the words that was 
imparted into you what he had said to you when you heard the news of, of his passing? It did, um, but you know, I'm 70. And so we've lost a lot of greats in my mm -hmm. life. Um, he'd have to be in the top 10 of the greatest of the greatest. So yeah. that, that did touch my soul. Um, mm -hmm. And it made me think of a lot of things. And, you know, like you say that I'm still continuing because I, I, and I have to, I, I've been a mom for 30 years, stay at home mom for 30 years. And, um, but I always felt in my soul that I never finished what I had set out to do originally. Mm -hmm. And I knew that um, after my girls were grown and gone, that um, I was going to return. And so this is my Jane 2.0 version. And um, I'm definitely going to be returning. I'm writing my memoirs, um, Plain Jane. And I'm, I'm excited. On oh, I'm excited <laughs> that this, ladies and gentlemen, heard that nation, if you're watching and listening, when I tell you, despite this conversation that we're having right now on this podcast, that Jane has a plethora of amazing history. If you're not following her on Instagram, she is posting literally every day some incredible uh, historical moments, throwback moments from when she was in high school to in college to uh, her being Miss Ohio to her broadcasting early days in journalism when she was uh, traveling with Bob Hope and ISO for the troops and then Dean Martin Oh, that was one of my uh, relatives' favorite shows when you was on Dean Martin, um, his his show, and, and just the vast of talent that you have been on television and beyond. Um, I am so looking forward to you now. We can add author to your resume. When this book comes out, what is it that you want the reader to grasp from? The, the, the pages that you have literally poured, not only your heart, but everything of your career, you being an amazing mom and so on. What, what as the reader, as a future reader, hands both raised, because I can't wait for it to come out. Uh, do you want us to get from your book that's coming up? Um, well, you know, the reason that it's taking me so long, it's, it's, it's called my living process piece. That's what I refer to it as, because I started it 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, Everybody kept telling me, you got to write a book, you got to write a book, you know, and I just didn't know what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. And so finally, when I decided, I just said I needed to just put everything on pages. And I didn't have a through line. I didn't know what I want readers to get out of it. Didn't know what I wanted to get out of it. I just wanted to get all the information on paper. And I ended up with over 600 pages, which, you know, <laughs> you're writing a book that's yeah. like twice too much. So, you know, then I had to start whittling it down. And what is what is the message? And I had a near-death experience um, in 1973 when I was on the Dean Martin show and we were performing in, Ohio, in uh, Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And um, I was saved by an angel. And... Uh, I call it an angel. I call him an angel because he was a guy that saved me and I turned around and turned back and he disappeared. So wow. he was an angel. And I talked to my mom the next day and I explained what had happened. And uh, she said, Jane, it's just not your time. You have, there's something for you to do. There's still something for you to do and it's mm -hmm. not your time. So ever since she said that, I've been trying to find my purpose 
Mm-hmm. Um, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? Um, how am I supposed to be helping? Um, so part of my purpose is my children. I have four daughters, uh, Cheyenne, Savannah, Copper, and Zaire. Zaire just turned 27. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Cheyenne wants me to say it, but she did. So I'll say she just turned 40. <laughs> so, Welcome to 40. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, for all the writing experience, I did not have the answer to what you just asked me. I did not know what it was that I wanted people to get from it. But I did know that I wanted people to understand that being yourself, your true self is enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in today's world, because people are trying so hard to be someone else. You know, we've, unfortunately, yes. we've got filters on everything, not just images, but on personalities, on livelihoods, on the mm-hmm. way you walk through your daily life. There's a filter of what you think people expect you to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I just have to be me. And I'm hoping that everybody can understand that. And I'm hoping that everybody can understand that you are enough. Don't let people sidetrack you. And a lot of times people go through blinders, you know, yeah. and they, with their expectations full ahead of them. And they don't see the flowers on the side that are waiting for them to pick, waiting for them to nurture, you know? And um, I just say dare, you know, just dare to dream sometimes, dare to mm-hmm. turn to the side and see what else is there. Yeah. You know, it's not just, you know, people talk about setting goals. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe in setting goals, but goals change. As soon as you achieve one, you've got another goal and it only lasts minutes, you know, right. as soon as you achieve a goal, you're already thinking, what am I doing next? What am I doing mm-hmm. next? So I say, you know, dare to dream, dare to be your most authentic self as you possibly can. And don't let anyone tell you that you can't do things. Because, you know, as I said before, I had a bunch of no's. Um, I was given the um, Black Enterprise Women of Power uh, Legacy Award uh, maybe five years ago. And um, in oh, my yeah, talk about that moment. That, that's powerful. That's big. That was amazing because I totally did not expect that. It came out of nowhere. Um, But let me say this first. Um, Mm -hmm. um, What I told the audience, and this is like 2000 um, black women who are all at the top level of what they do. Mm -hmm. And my children, they invited my daughters to go with me so that they could see you know, their mom, who is soccer mom, picked me up from school mom. And they wanted them to see what I meant to this type of audience. Mm -hmm. And my daughter Copper said, oh, so now I get what y'all been talking about. (laughs) Because when she saw all these women and um, talking about how I had impacted their lives and I never talked about that, you know? I, I never, I just... Jane, is it hard for you? Is it hard for you to get compliments like that? Is it hard for you uh, when you hear Jamel sing your praises, when you hear Claudia Jordan sing your praises, uh, uh, when you hear so many people, especially some of the men that were trying to cast you aside when you were first coming on the scene, um, you know, a woman, a black woman, to have her voice heard on a national platform and for them now to be in the audience 
standing up, giving you a standing ovation for everything that you have done in television and innovation and journalism and broadcasting. And it, it, it's some moment, it, it, I mean, that's what I just wanna know. I just wanna know, was that hard for Is that hard for you to receive the compliments? They just come in and shake your hands and you know, sending you DMs and calling you and just saying, thank you. This is what you've done for me. Thank you for helping me open this door. Thank you for helping me write this resume to get in, to talk to this executive to have you know my 30 minute spot on this show thank you for uh allowing me to have the courage to ask my boss for a raise when this broadcaster male is getting this much money more than i am and so now finally i'm being heard you know of of getting you know my talents that i believe that i'm worth the dollar that i presented to them and now it's working so when I tell you in, in, in so many words or less, and I know I keep saying this so many times on here, of how much of an impact you have made of so many people's careers, um, I hope that you receive all that. I really, really hope you receive all that of what you have done and what you're continuing to do now. Um, with your career and you just being your true authentic self. Um, the thanks that I can continue to say and so many people say is not enough, Jane. It's not. Um, you have given hard. women a voice, black women a voice. You have given them like, you know what? I did this, I knocked down this door. I shattered this glass ceiling. Girl, go for it. That's what you've it done. Was, it, it was the most difficult thing I've ever done. Um, number one, because it was a lonely path. It was a lonely path because, you know, you're, it was a totally different world. So you didn't have like an entourage traveling. I didn't have an entourage traveling with me. CBS mm -hmm. would barely pay for my wardrobe. You know, they wouldn't pay for makeup. They wouldn't pay for training. I begged them to give me training. You know, they just mm -hmm. threw me on the air. In my very first show, I had luckily... <laughs> I had gone to Cleveland and interviewed the, the Cleveland Browns coach, Sam Ridigliano, so it, whom I knew because I was a Cleveland Browns fan. I grew mm -hmm. up in Cleveland. But, you know, my very first day on the, on the set, you know, we're doing the countdown to my piece. And I'm hearing it in, in, in my ear, you know, directors, five, four, hold up, Jane, the machine just ate your tape. You're going to have to fill <laughs> for four <Wow>. minutes. <laughs> So, you know, but, you know, those, it, everything was hard. Nothing yeah. came easy. You know, people, the media hated me because, you know, they resented the fact that it was a, a woman, a black, and, you know, someone who'd never been in, involved in sports journalism before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was three strikes and basically they considered I was out, you know, and um, it, it was definitely hard, but lonely is probably the biggest part of it because there's no, there was no one that you could talk to. There were, mm -hmm. there were no mentors. Um, you were on the road by yourself. Mm. I'm in a hotel, I go down to the restaurant to grab dinner and you know, guys wanna come over. Oh, you're, you know, hey, you wanna hang out with me? You wanna, no, I'm working, you know. Um, lonely. I would go to my room, I would eat my dinners in my room, I would study in my room. I would be on the airplane. I lived in Los Angeles, I worked in New York. 
I would fly to New York every Friday night, fly back to LA every Sunday night, fly Tuesdays or Wednesday mornings to do my interviews on these players, most were east of the Mississippi. And then I fly back on Thursday and then Friday night, I'm back on the plane again to New York. Um, it was very lonely. Um, and nobody wanted to believe that you could do it. Um, when CBS hired me, they only gave me a six week contract and they paid me peanuts. Um, and uh, I remember the second week of the show, Muhammad Ali was fighting Leon Spinks in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And um, I overheard, I was in the office on Saturday trying to get some research. And I overheard the people on Sports Spectacular arguing with the attorneys because um, actually it was Friday. It was Friday. Mm -hmm. They wanted to get the post-fight interview with Holly that night. Mm -hmm. And they weren't able to do it. And they were angry words. you know. And I just turned around and I said, I can get you the interview. Yeah. <laughs> and I have no idea why they believed me. Yeah, but they put me on a private jet, sent me to New Orleans with a crew, and I called Ali and I said, "Hey, you know, do me a big favor. <laughs> I need to talk to you right after." I said, "I won't take you much of your time, but I need to talk to you right after the fight." He said, "Okay, well, I leave the key for you at the desk, and if you go pick up the um, the key, be in my suite, set up, ready to go, and I'll stop by there on my way to all my other post fight interviews." Mm -hmm. So he walked in. My whole crew was ready. They started shooting the moment he opened the door. And we got this great little interview and he looks in the camera and he says, I would only do this for my friend Jane. And um, so I, we got on the plane, flew back, back to New York. And um, the uh, people on Sportsback edited the piece for their show and they edited a piece for my drop on my Sunday um, pregame show with the NFL today. Monday morning, I had my contract for the year. So there was no help. Yeah. You know, there was, there was never help. You know, it was like, you have to do it yourself. Every, mm -hmm. step, every single step of the way. You know, I, and I was trying to always be conscious of the fact that I was a black woman. Mm -hmm. So I had asked them to, you know, do you, you don't have a wardrobe budget, you know? And they said, no. Um, so, you know, I guess that came from my years of being in Hollywood. You always yeah. have to yeah. yeah. So maybe it was common that they didn't, but, you know, they didn't have it, you know. And um, so I said, well, if I get someone to um, do the wardrobe for me, would you give them in credits uh, for the show? And they said, yes. Yeah. So I went to a Black-owned boutique called Zagobi Boutique in New York. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, hey, can you guys just provide wardrobe and you get in credits on the show and maybe people will stop by, you know? So they said, sure. So every Friday night when I arrived at my hotel suite, there were options, three to five pieces from Zagobi mm -hmm. Boutique. And I would just have to leave them Sunday night and they, the Zagobi would come back on Mondays and pick it up. Next week, they would have another set of options. But I wanted to make sure it was a black owned company that had that opportunity um, they were sending cbs was sending a limo to pick me up in la to take me to the airport mm -hmm. and um so i said you know we can do better so i called them and there was a, a brand new 
uh, startup company, limousine service company that was black owned in Los Angeles. And mm -hmm. I said, can I just book my limo service so I don't have to like always call you, say what time you call me. And they said, sure, you know, no problem. So I called Jackson Limousine. I said, hey, you guys want a contract with CBS? <laughs> so, you know, that was that was always like in, in the forefront of my mind. Mm -hmm. What can I do that's larger than what I am doing? And um, it was when I got the, um, the National Sports Media Association Runarledge Award um, two months ago, uh, when you say, to circle back on your comment about, you know, how do you feel when people acknowledge you? Um, so I'm, I'm getting ready to do my speech, my acceptance speech. And I'm looking out at the audience and there's Ernie Johnson, um, Scott Van Pelt, mm -hmm. <laughs> Charles Barkley. <laughs> I said, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, these people stood up and gave me a standing ovation. Mm -hmm. that, that, was, that was pretty special. Because that had to be a powerful moment, especially that award that you got. Um, for those that are not familiar with it, literally, when I was doing research on it, it's basically like the Academy Award version for innovation in journalism. And to have yes. all of those people that you just named just, just stand up for you, for you, Jane, and, and what you've done. Don't you go anywhere. The Heard That with Marisa Tigney podcast will be right back after a brief pause to hear from our sponsor. One of the amazing things that I love to do with my time, I love working out and serving in the community. And through that time I have met some amazing people and I have met some extraordinary kids. And the one thing, believe it or not, that kids love and ask for is books. Because many of them I found that they, they absolutely love reading, which is absolutely incredible. Um, I am so proud that I've met an incredible man uh, by the name of Trevor Romaine. And he is an author, he's an illustrator that has the most amazing, amazing literature for kids and for educators and for teachers, as well as parents. You have to check out his books. You have to check out his digital downloads. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. If you go to trevorromain.com, uh, T-R-E-V-O-R-R-O-M-A-I-N, no E at the end, dot com, check out all of his materials that he has, all his books, all his literature, and digital downloads. You can save 15%. All heard that, listeners. If you check it out, save 15% at the end of your checkout. Use the code HEARDTHAT, H-E-A-R-D, T-H-A-T, and save 15%. You, I'm telling you what, it is some of the best materials out there that can help children and families become happier, healthier, and more confident. So use the code HEARDTHAT. Save 15% off at trevorromaine.com today. And welcome back to the Heard That with Marisa Tigney podcast. I mean, that moment right there, I know that, you know, while they were doing your introductions and everything and you just walking up to that stage and just uh, looking out into that audience and just taking it all in, what was your thoughts before you even spoke a word of your speech? Like with capturing the audience, them standing up for you, what was that moment like when you saw the audience? 
before you got to uh, say one word of your speech? It was, it was breathtaking because it was the fact that they just invited me in the first place and told me that they wanted to honor me. You know, because back in the day, the journal, sports journalists hated me. Yeah. <laughs> I swear, they just were so negative in, in any commentary towards me. Um, and that's one of the reasons it was also such a lonely existence. But, you know, then to have them give you like one of the top awards in the sports industry as a journalist, that acknowledgement just meant the world to me, you know, mm -hmm. and to see, you know, the respect from EJ was just something that I will never forget. You know, he's such an admirer of him. I am. I watched, I watched yeah. Sports Center and I go, you know, oh, my God, these guys are so great. Yeah. <laughs> I watched them and, you know, it's just amazing as a fan, you know, as a, I don't think of it, you know, as like, wow, I used to do that or something like that. Mm -hmm. I look at how much it has grown. I mean, you look at the set of the NFL today and it just looks like, you know, like a high school kid did it based on what yeah. it's like now. <laughs> Right, the, right. The digital world, you know, that's available to them that just wasn't available to me. We would be on the desk and people would be handing you notes under the desk, you know, mm -hmm. for, for, you know, um, wow. the latest, the latest. And then we had like um, a set of monitors off to the right. And um, you'd have to watch, you know, all of these games. So you're looking here, you're getting notes under the, under the desk. You've got the director in your ear. Um, giving you instructions and you're on a desk with three other people it's scripted but it's non-scripted and mm -hmm. so you you have to be careful not to step out it's craziness yeah if you ever and then you've got central time games that are coming on at the time that east coast games are at halftime that you've got post games by the time you get to the pre-games of the four o'clock starts on the west coast and mm -hmm. you, you know, it's it's crazy it's right. crazy matches, but it is so exciting but when you finish at the end of the day you're just totally exhausted totally it had to be because now you got with technology and everything else you got is it, six games on at the same time where you have that network is zooming in one game and zooming out and this is what's happening and we're at halftime in Tampa Bay and we got a third quarter nail biter going on in Philadelphia while in Detroit this is happening and so that is so crazy that you were getting the, the, the script and the notes underneath the desk and you know you all had basically uh, had to you know breaking news this happened and everything yeah. else and just be so innovative and switch on a dime where, you know, like I said, now you just look at the right screen and that's happening. The middle of the screen, that's happening. Down here in the left-hand corner, that's happening. Like that, I mean, that that is some work that you've also got, You've also got computers giving you all kinds of stats and yeah. research information, you know? We didn't have any of that. Not Nothing like that. Like literally you were the stats, you were the computer, <laughs> you were, you know, whatever was given to you, that's what you had to work off with. That is so incredible of how that much changed it. rapidly that y'all went through by hand, literally. By hand, by hand, literally. That is, wow, that just, that just blows my mind. I look at the desk of Sports Center and I said, oh my God, I would love to do that show. Yes. <laughs> Oh, you would, you would, you you would have crushed it. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent, you would have crushed it. Because I just think that you know, 
what you, what you had just shared, they have it easy now where, you know, they have the technology, they have the screen and the words and all of that and the changes and all that and, and everything in front of them, where is you, you can go and study all night, but then when you show up on set, which I'm sure has happened, where it's like, okay, well, this is now we're going to, you know, take this from you, Jane. And then now you have to, you have 30 seconds to look this over and you're like, uh, which I'm sure that that came into play because you are in entertainment for eight years, you know, so you were in movies or, you know, performances and all of that stuff. So I'm sure that change and adaptability came to you naturally. You know, you mentioned that, you know, because I did a, um, I hosted um, the most beautiful girl in the world beauty pageant for Dick Clark Productions uh, for Mm -hmm. three years. I co-hosted with David Hasselhoff. And I remember we were in Perth, uh, no, Sydney, Sydney, Australia. And um, we had, you know, been there for two weeks, everything's ready to go. And I'm in my dressing room just before the show starts. And, you know, we've rehearsed it. We know exactly what we're doing. Totally unlike (laughs) sports, you know, we know exactly what we're doing, exactly what you say at this second. And then you go to here, then you go to there. And the big giant computer board has everything. All the pre-tape packages are inserted. They come up, you do the lead in, you know, it's totally different, totally Mm -hmm. different. So we're, we're, I'm in my dressing room and Dick Clark knocks on the door and he walks in and he says, okay, Jane, it's um, 10 minutes to showtime and our computer just fried. He said, so we're gonna, he said, we have ordered a replacement computer, but we're like outside of Sydney in a gymnasium that they converted. And there's no way that somebody can drive a new computer board in. Mm. So he said, "Um, we have a new computer board being flown in by helicopter and the programmer is sitting on the board as it's suspended from the helicopter as we speak. And he's programming. He said, but he's not gonna be able to put it in the desk until maybe 12, 13 minutes into the show. So we're gonna have to fill for the first 12 to 13 minutes of a live TV show. Wow. You just don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. We have all these pre-tape packages. We had, oh my God, I want to say we had 160 beauty contestants from all over the world. Mm-hmm. We've got countries from all over the world watching this show. Mm-hmm. So he said, um, they've got a tux coming in for me and I'm going to go on stage with you and David. And he said, when I hired you to do this job, he said, I hired you because I knew you could do something like this. And that made, I will, I will never That's forget so good. that, you know, the so mm-hmm. you know here we are <laughs> on stage you know getting ready to fill for 13 freaking minutes yeah and the computer guy runs out and he said it's ready to go it's ready to go he's and the, the we went to commercial and started the show just like that that quick so to be able to do things that quickly you know I was accustomed to you know I was working in television was not new to me Working mm-hmm. in sports TV was the only thing that was new to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I could do that, you know. Um, and I was used to being comfortable with knowing what my abilities were. Um, so you know, I, I think that that's the thing that I want. To, one of the messages that I want to get out in my book, you know, I tell I tell people all the time: dare to dream, dare to be the Michelle Obama in the sleeveless dress. Because mm-hmm. everybody well, told me she couldn't. Yeah. 
So I, I know what I can do. And um, I know how to be what I'm supposed to be if I know mm -hmm. what I can't do. I know so the big thing me. that you are is an inspiration to many. And you speak so well and eloquent of your daughters. And it had to be the biggest moment um, of your life when they took you to um, the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. Oh my God. Let me tell you something. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to try my hardest. I'm going to try my hardest not to tear up on your behalf because that moment when your daughters are taking you to uh, the Oprah Winfrey wing in that museum, and that is on my list to go and, and check out that museum. There was a couple of occasions I was able to, I was unable to when I got invited, and I'm going to make that a priority, especially for this reason. To see your, your photo and what you have done in journalism and entertainment be on the same wall as a Nichelle Nichols, as a Don Cornelius, as a Diane Carroll. Diane Carroll, for those that don't know, was the first woman to have her own show, her own show, Julia. Uh, I didn't realize how, yes, I didn't realize how, how powerful that was until I heard my, my family, my relatives talk about her. And I was like, okay, she had her own show. I only knew her from the eighties when she was on uh, was it on Dynasty or Falcon Crest? One of the two shows. Right. And I knew of that, Dynasty. but I did not know she had her own show. And that moment when your daughters are telling you, you know, let me go up there and look at your picture. Look at, you know, you're being recognized for what you've done. Jane, that had to be a moment where you're just like, and for you to, to be in tears, looking at where you started at in a photo of you and how much of an impact that you've made. How does it feel seeing that in a museum against the, you know, next to those that I had mentioned because you had said it so eloquently that there was not a lot of us of representation, let alone having an own show let alone um, Don Cornelius doing something epic for Soul Train, you being on the platform of, you know, NFL on CBS, which was the number one show at the time. That had to, that, that moment when you saw your photo on the wall in that glorious museum, take me back to that moment. I did, I how did you feel? I didn't believe it when I heard that it was there. Um, you know, a lot of things happen and you have no idea, you know, um, and I just opened my Instagram one day and this guy said, I went and I don't know who he was, you know? Yeah. Um, he said, I went to the Smithsonian and it just opened. He said, I went to the Smithsonian and look what I found. And they had taken a picture of the exhibit and it was the um, television and the media landscape exhibit um, with the, the, the superstars that you had just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And um, he took it from the perspective of Don Cornelius and, you know, like looking down the wall, you know, so big Don Cornelius, then the Supremes, then um, Michelle, then Diane, Nat King Cole. And then I was like this small at the end, right? 
and in the photo I couldn't really see it yeah and I said oh my god this is incredible I said that's that's really exists and he he answered back he says yes and my comment back to him was oh my god it's too bad you didn't get it from the other end so that I could actually see my picture the next day he went back and took it from the other end and sent it to me <laughs> Wow, I mean, that's, that's incredible. I was so touched that he had done that, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so I said, I got to go see this, you know? Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And so I'm standing there, I walk in, and the first thing I could think of was my mom, because she was a huge Nat King Cole fan. Mm -hmm. And here I was, my picture was right next to his, right next to his. Then I look over at Star Trek, I'm a Trekkie. Mm -hmm. You know, how am I on the wall with Michelle Nichols? I knew Diane. I watched Julia all the time, you know, and then I look at the Supremes and I'm going, me and my sisters were in our basement. We knew every word, every dance move of every Supreme song that ever came out. And we'd be downstairs in the basement practicing our moves, baby love, my baby love, you know, <laughs> in front of a mirror, you know, toning it like we're going to go on stage at some point in our crazy career, right? And um, then we would charge our families at Thanksgiving, we would charge them a nickel to watch us perform, you know, and all of these crazy thoughts are going through my mind as I, and I can't walk to it, you know, and I, I just couldn't, I, I was standing back and I'm looking at all of it and it's ugly tears just flowing, you know, and Savannah kept saying, mom, go, 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 you know, and I'm going, I, I couldn't move. I couldn't move. And I'm looking at the picture that they showed was the NFL Today desk, me on the NFL Today yep. desk. And just the challenges of actually getting that job the racism that I had to go through to keep the job, the sexism that I had to go through to keep the job, the lonely moments. When I made the decision that when I'm a mom, I'm gonna stay home because this is too hard. Mm -hmm. Not saying that other women can't do it. I couldn't. And I wanted to be there for my children. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there to laugh when they came home and said they got their first kiss. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be there for their soccer games. I want not just some, all. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be there for them when they felt insecure. I wanted to be there for them when people told them that they couldn't. And um, they didn't know me as Jane Kennedy. They knew me as mom. Mm -hmm. And so when years go by, and this is just mom, mm -hmm. and you're going to the market after I picked them all up from school, and we're in the car heading home, and, uh, a rap song comes on the radio and it's Miss Fat Booty. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, oh man, the girl was so fine. She looked like, she looked like, she looked like Jane Kennedy. Word to my mother, man. She looked, she was that ill. 
And I now you know you made it when you're in a rap song. <laughs> I slammed on the brake and I'm going, before I could say anything, Zaire says, did he just say your name? <laughs> and we're looking at each other. I was in the middle of a busy street and I'm still. And, and right. Copper looks at me and Savannah says, mom, you got street cred. <laughs> yep. Shut it down. Jane Kennedy's name was mentioned in the rap song. It's over. It's a rap. <laughs> and then the next day, I guess it had just come out or something. Because then the next day, everybody at their school was talking about it. Your mom was in a rap song. And um, I mean, that was cool. That was really kind of cool. Um, it was like um, my kids got to share a, a part of who I was, yeah, you know, and um, the same thing happened when we were in Florida at Black Enterprise. Same thing happened at the Smithsonian. Um, and now I try to um, share as much as I can with my children um, about my experiences because a lot of times things happen and they'll say, mom, I didn't, I never knew that. Mm -hmm. And so part of the book is for them because um, I want I want them to know who their mom really was is mm -hmm. yes is because you are still doing incredible things and still daily and I see you know and follow you on Instagram you're daily um, posting something that's story part of your history or something that you're getting ready to do um, you know. I know that you probably you you always speak so beautifully of your family, um, you know, growing up in Wycliffe, Ohio, and you know your 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 siblings, and you know having a great mom and dad and everything else. And I love hearing stories of people that, you know, before that they have gone out and did something epic and you know made a name for themselves or you know became a huge Hollywood. Uh, actor or actress or someone in music and everything else it always started it at home with their roots with their parents and I tell people all the time it just is such a blessing when you have such a supporting system like your siblings like your mother and your father um, family to you and you speak so beautifully of it it just seems like it's everything from your beautiful daughters to you know your upbringing in Wycliffe Ohio um, what is some beautiful memories? You know, you had talked about you and your sisters practicing the Supreme moves. Um, you know, it's amazing where a hairbrush can become your microphone. Um, but did you have that when, yeah, did you have that when you were growing up where you're like, you know, one day I'm going to be, you know, a movie star, or one day I'm going to be a singer, or one day, you know, did you speak your, your path into existence when you were growing up uh, right there in the, that small town of Wycliffe? Well, actually, um, I used to, I, my favorite short set when I was five years old was mm -hmm. a, um, a, a shorts that shorts in the top that had palm trees on it. And I had these sunglasses that had the cattail eyes. Yes. And, the on them. Uh, and I, would, I would walk around, I would tell everybody, I'm going to Hollywood, I'm going to be a movie star. <laughs> <You know? laughs> But then, you know, I, I gave that up by the time I was seven or eight, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I, I used to be a model for a May Company um, department stores. Back in the day, there was a May Company. And I was on their team fashion board during my high school years. Mm -hmm. And um, for one of the luncheons that we modeled, 
and it was downtown at Terminal Tower, which is like the main structure in downtown Cleveland, still yeah. is. And um, Shirley Chisholm was the guest speaker. And I couldn't oh, even wow. get ready for the show. I was glued. I was, because I, I, the year before I had been vice president of the United States Girls Nation. And yeah. here I am watching Shirley Chisholm in person. And, you know, I'm supposed to be getting dressed backstage and, you know, I'm, I was glued. And so I decided then and there that I was gonna be a politician. I was gonna um, work as a model, make some money and go to New York, um, go to Columbia University to become a model. I mean, I'm sorry, to become Shirley Chisholm, another mm -hmm. Shirley Chisholm. And um, then, you know, when I won Miss Ohio, I was in my senior year of high school and I, had to serve a year before I actually went somewhere. So I couldn't go to college um, mm -hmm. that year. And it was during that year that I started doing uh, a local television show in Cleveland and ended up getting married and moving to California instead. Mm -hmm. So I never ended up going into politics, um, but that was definitely something that I was thinking about. So it wasn't, it wasn't Hollywood. Um, uh, wasn't Hollywood. I mean, you know, I, that was something that was in my blood because I was part of the drama club, but there were never any parts for Blacks in any of the plays that we did. So I would always sit with the director and I ended up being um, his, you know, assistant, the director's mm -hmm. assistant, or the head of this department, head of that department. Um, and I was, by the time I graduated high school, I was the only thespian um, member that had never been in an acting role. Everybody else had, and I, you, I had earned enough points because of all the other things that I was doing. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it was something that I loved to do. And, you know, I'd been on stage because I'd been a model. Um, I had done television commercials when I was still in high school um, as a model um, for the maid company. Um, I had done fashion shows when I was in junior high um, because I could sew. My mom um, taught all of our I, five girls in our family. So she taught us how to sew mm -hmm. and I would make all my own clothes. And um, so, you know, I, I would do these fashion shows modeling my clothing. And um, so, you know, there, it was just, I had an eclectic existence. And so it paid off because then when I got to Hollywood and you're trying to wait for a starring role in a movie or not even starring role, just a decent role in a movie, um, they were few and far between. You know, mm -hmm. you might not get a movie for three or four years. Yeah. Um, and there were very rarely any other opportunities, um, hardly any on television. Um, so, you know, I had to be, I had to be eclectic, you know, so I ended up singing, dancing, um, doing commercial endorsement, product endorsements. And mm -hmm. so when the NFL Today opportunity came around, I, it was easy for me to say, well, this is stepping outside of the box because I was, my whole life I was stepping out of the box. Yeah. You literally bet on yourself. Pardon me? I said you bet on yourself. Like you knew that you day. could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to this very day, I still do. And I, I, I absolutely love that. Like through everything that you shared on, on this podcast, and through all the no's, there were some yeses. And through the yeses grew, you know, some more yeses and the opportunity and you just kept going. And that's the thing that 
will stick with me and fully every person that's listening and, and watching that 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 no was not your final answer like uh, yeah you know what well, you're right they're right this is not for me i quit i'm done i'm going to take a different avenue you through all and through all the loneliness and the hard times that you went through with nfl today you still kept going like i just want people to get that through everything and i cannot fathom i can't even imagine um those moments that you were going through uh, anybody that was going through that level of loneliness and you know being rejected and not even getting not even getting a budget for wardrobe you know not even getting someone to do your makeup and everything else like literally you were all those roles by yourself and you continue did everything myself everything. yes and you continue to go on and didn't let the naysayers stop you from what this girl in Lansing, Michigan saw on her television set and my best friend on her television set in Detroit and my other best friend in Detroit and on and on and on seeing this beautiful woman deserve taking her place, her seat at the table on that platform on NFL on CBS. And I truly, Jane, thank you for what you did and not making no your final answer, that you dug deep inside of you and knew that you could, and you mustered up the, the courage and the yes and the determination to keep going. And so my final question to you is, besides you coming out with this incredible book, which I cannot wait for it to come out, what else is Jane, Kennedy Overton going to do now, you said Jane 2.0, what else is it that you want to do in the young, young 70 that you are? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, I, you know, I, I'm working on compiling all of the things that I have collected, you know, and I've been asking my family members, you know, what do you have, you know, send it to me, send it to me. Mm -hmm. I've been um, collecting a, a library um, so to speak, I am working on a, a bio doc. So, you know, like trying to gather footage from anywhere because, you know, back in the day, you didn't have, and I was on live television a lot. Um, so you didn't have, you know, uh, someone at home that could record for you or, um, you know, you, you can find the VHS, you can find the footage of this show, that show, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's so hard trying to find on clips of the work that I did. Um, so I've been really working hard on trying to build the library um, so that we can actually use that in the bio doc. Um, but you know, look, I, I spent years um, when I talked about being a soccer mom for my girls, it was more than for my girls because when my youngest daughter, when Zaire was 10, she was begging me to be part of club soccer. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, that's expensive. You know, do you really want to do this? They were doing, everybody was doing AYSO. And this was like since Savannah was five. So we've been in AYSO for years, you know. Um, I used to breastfeed uh, Zaire on the sidelines of Savannah's game, you know, sit in my car. Um, mm -hmm. Because with the world of sports for our girls, it was volleyball, swimming, soccer, basketball. 
um, you know, and year round, they were, mm -hmm. all of them were involved, involved in some level of sports. And um, so I got to the point where I said, okay, if you really want to do this, we're going to, you know, figure out a way to achieve this, you know, mm -hmm. want to do club soccer. And I noticed that there were so many other girls, nine years old in AYSO soccer that were so talented. And I said, you know, they need to be doing more. They need to be doing better. So I started recruiting. Oh, <laughs> and wow. I, put together, I put together a team mm -hmm. and I had a meeting with all the moms and dads. And I said, you know, I want to bring these girls into the club soccer um, arena. And we signed with one team. We didn't like the coach. And so they wanted to switch over to the Westside Breakers, which is the permanent soccer team on the west side of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And it's, it was at that time an all girls club. Uh, I think they've, they've gone to girls and boys at this point. Um, but um, so I, I went to the director and the head coach of the program and he said, uh, well, we don't take teams. They're gonna have to all try out on their own individual qualifications. I said, I have no problem with that. Every single girl got chosen. <laughs> <laughs> All of my girls got chosen. So, you know, he said, okay, we'll just, we've got a coach that we want to hire and we'll mm -hmm. just give him your team. So they were together for five years. And then when Zaire turned 15, uh, we decided that we wanted to step up her game because she wanted to play in, in, in college. And um, so uh, we found a, a, a new team still at the Westside Breakers. And she started playing with the U-17 players at U-15. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I was, I mean, that team, parents could not be involved. Um, that whole club, parents could not be involved as coaches. So I became the team manager. And uh, so I, these girls were so amazing. And a lot of them couldn't afford clubs, club soccer. So my commitment to their parents was, Mm -hmm. I'm going to find a way for your girls to play. I'm going to try to find sponsors for them. We're going to do fundraisers. We're going to do whatever it takes to try to get your girls to play um, club soccer because it's expensive. And uh, we did. And we ended up winning um, when the Collegiate Women's National Championship was in San Diego. We were invited. They had tournament games all around the stadium of club teams. Mm -hmm. And so we entered that tournament. We were invited to enter the tournament and my girls won. Um, and I call them my girls because to this day, um, the last time we were a team was when they were 16, 17. And, um, wow. and they're now, you know, like three, four years out of college. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them were so good, they ended up getting college scholarships. So these were girls that I had handpicked at age nine Mm -hmm. And to see them going on, living their dream and competing in college, that was a tremendous satisfaction for me that I was so able good. to have that happen, to have a young girl live her dream. That's so good. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Literally, you are the Jane of all trades, like soccer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's incredible what you've had your hand in and accomplished and you know the big thing wrapped around all of this that you've done has been an inspiration uh to so many um 
in you know the soccer field that you just talked about in journalism, innovation, entertainment, acting, uh, just so much that you have have shared. Uh, and I, I hope that many people from what you have talked about and what you have shared have become inspired because you are a person that has inspired myself and many people that um, will be tuning in and watching this and listening this. Um, I, I hope that everybody will continue to support you and follow your story because um, it's, it's not done yet. You have so many things that you have done, but I think your story just still continues because there's a lot, like you had said, said there's so much for you to do. It's so much for you to share and so much for you to be involved in. And I, myself, I don't want to sound greedy, but I, I definitely want to see you back on television. <laughs> it, it, I would love that. I yes. would love that. So I've been having meetings with a lot of producers and directors and showrunners. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to come up with something that, that might fit. Um, so we shall see. We oh shall my see. gosh. And you know what, I, I actually, you know, and I say Jane 2.0 because, you know, like I said, I, there was, I didn't feel that I finished what I set out to do. Mm -hmm. So um, the way that I write my name now is just Jane with a semicolon. Mm -hmm. A semicolon represents a sentence that could have ended, but it's not finished yet. Oh, I like that. So okay, me. I'm going to be writing my sentences with sem semicolons. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that is so good. Because the period at the end of the sentence means the sentence, it's, it's the end. Yeah. Like, that is all. Yeah. But mine is a semicolon, not done yet. Not done yet. I love it. How can people follow you on social media? On um, Jane Kennedy Overton. I made it kind of simple on um, Instagram and on uh, Facebook, Jane Kennedy Overton. And on Twitter, which I really, I'm not a Twitter person. So, you know, I don't really do that that much, but mm -hmm. I am there and it's Plain Jane uh, KO. Um, Plain Jane is the name of the book uh, that I'm writing. And so this is Plain Jane K.O. for Kennedy Overton. There is nothing plain about you whatsoever in my eyes. This has been um, a moment that I will cherish for a lifetime. Um, you. you have inspired me and uh, so many people of the work that you have done and you will continue to do. And I am excited for you. I'm excited and I'm rooting for you for what is going to happen for you what is already in progress happening for you god is already designed your path of what is going to be uh and i'm already thankful in cheering you on and just so grateful for you agreeing to come on this podcast and i am honored um as as an admirer as a person that has uh, followed you for years and is a, I will, you know, I got pom-poms in both hands just cheering for you um, because it's going to be incredible what is going to be happening for you. It won't surprise me in the next like minutes or hours or whatever it be that all of a sudden you have something going on just like that. Um, and I look forward to your book coming out and whenever you do book tours, because I'm going to be there, try to be at every single one because I'm just excited about, <laughs> what you're going to share and I, I i hope that people do follow you and i thank you so much jane for taking the time to come on the podcast i i had to i had to so grateful. I, saw, I saw your interview with dr tachi um several months ago 
And um, you were talking about representation matters. And you spoke about me and it was like, oh my God, she sees me. I mean, it was so clear, you saw me. And um, I, just, I just had to, oh God, all the people, all the years that never saw me, you know? And you were so right on the button. And I had to reach out to you, I did. Ah. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, I saw me in you when I saw you on that NFL on CBS set. And that for me was inspiring because it was someone who looked like me that was on not just my little box, little TV that we had in our house, but it was so much more. And I, I know that I speak for so many people and so many that are watching and listening um that your name will be spoken and we speak your name and we and we we lift your name up because of what you have done and so thank you so much jane for coming on the podcast today i'm so grateful uh for you being here thank you thank you and thank you for all of those that are watching jane is my first guest that officially has made my makeup run to my jacket <laughs> And as I always end the show, ladies and gentlemen, please take care, stay safe. We are out of here. Be in the know of new episodes that are coming up on the podcast at heardthatwithmarisa.com. I'm also available on Instagram at Marisa Tigney Podcast, on Twitter at Lovely Marisa T, as well as Facebook on a social media page, Heard That With Marisa Tigney. I appreciate your continued support.